Thank you, David. So recently I went to a restaurant and it's like one of those really good problems to have because as I looked at the menu, like I thought, I think I want about 10 things on this menu. Like that looks good and that looks good and I wouldn't mind trying that and I wouldn't mind trying that. And it made it difficult to decide. That's a good kind of difficult. And I feel a little bit like it, like that when it comes to talking about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. There's like so many good places we could go, so many helpful places to go. We could look and, and talk about the evidences and the historical evidence for Jesus rising from the dead, and that would be, I'm sure, helpful and profitable. And, and we could also talk about what Easter means and like when, when it's written that he was raised for our justification so that we would have a right relationship with God. We could look at that and spend some time thinking about that. And we could also think through, okay, this is a taste of new life. Resurrection is a taste of new life. So there's so many different things we could think about. But at the restaurant that day, I could only pick one entree. I had to pick one thing. Actually, I had dessert. But I, I picked like one entree. And I had to like, that's what it was going to be for that day. And, and I think that's the where I land today is there are a lot of good things we could look at. But I do want to draw our attention to something that I feel like where the Lord has steered my attention this week is John chapter 21. So I'm actually going to read a good portion of it. And we're going to zero in on this one story that happened a little bit after the resurrection of Jesus. All right, John 21. And the words will be up on the screen. But if you have a Bible, I welcome you to follow along as well. It says this, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. But just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. But he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and, and now they were not able to haul it all in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea and the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I love John 21 because it's about common things. If you've read much of the story, much of the life of Jesus, it's about very, very common things. It's about common things like disciples and Jesus and fish and sheep and conversations meals shared. This is pretty standard in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the way the stories of Jesus go. And yet there's some things that really stand out. This is not like every other story you've ever read. As a matter of fact, verse 1 of John 21 and verse 14, a word's repeated actually three times, twice in verse 1, once in verse 14. And it's telling us something about why this chapter is here and why it's so significant. And that is Jesus is revealing himself. Jesus is revealing himself. Jesus is revealing what he is like, what he will be like in this new era going forward, this new era after his resurrection. And the disciples knew, I mean, they had categories for what it was like to be around Jesus before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. But now he is entering them into this world of what happens even when he leaves. He says, I will be with you, but, but how is that all going to work? What will life be like now? What will, what will their relationship, disciples, followers of Jesus like us, what will our relationship with Jesus be like? I think we get a glimpse of that in John 21. Because what doesn't happen is they don't just hang around the empty tomb. There's no reason to. He's not there. What they also don't do is go again and again and again to an upper room, some monastery, some secluded place where it's just maybe they can... They can get the presence of Jesus with them again. They don't do that. Life goes on, and yet life is never the same for any of these. We get a window into how Jesus will relate to us now that he is risen. And I I want us to think about that because I think it matters not just for them, but for you, for you today. The picture in many ways is just so ordinary by the Sea of Galilee, except for a man who died days before, who who they all knew was dead, is now alive and he's standing on the shore. He's present on the seashore. And like thinking of Jesus coming back to life would, just humanly speaking, means if you've read the stories of what happened to him on the cross and leading up to the cross, where he was beaten, mocked by pretty much everybody involved, betrayed, denied. Like my mind immediately would go to, this is a place for revenge. You treat him that way, this is what is naturally going to come out of that. But instead we get this ordinary scene where it's no epic battle or conflict. It's Jesus on a seashore. He's talking. He's directing, telling them what to do, giving invitations. Notice his presence and his words. That's what it's going to be about going forward. Jesus' presence and his words. But there's also a level with the presence and the words, there's also a level of uncertainty. These disciples don't quite know how to, what to make of all of it. And I think that's telling, isn't it? 
Did you notice they, it says they didn't recognize him? And surely they had seen Jesus on the Sea of Galilee many times. I mean, they, and yet they don't recognize him. I don't know if it's something about his resurrected appearance that looks different, but it says they don't recognize him until John says, I know who this has to be. And Peter like, jumps in the water because this has to be the Lord. But even later on, they're getting together and it says, did you notice the way John worded it? He said, no one even, no one asked, like no one even had the guts to ask. Is it really you? And they didn't because they knew it was the Lord, but yet they have questions. They knew it was him. They have assurance, but there are some questions. There are some doubts. Trying to piece together this miracle of 153 fish, trying to piece together even more significant than that, is that man was dead, and now he's alive. I wonder sometimes if Christians, if we can give the wrong impression as if, like, there's no doubts, there's no questions. We're just 100% confident. That's not exactly true for most of us. And even when we come to the resurrection, if it really is what we're saying it is, the hinge point of history, we have to like go, I've got to think about that. I've got to process that. I may have to reprocess that. But I want you to notice what happens, because I think it's significant for where we are today. And that is, although life is filled with ordinary things, Lots of ordinary things. On occasion, Jesus breaks through in these extraordinary ways. See, that's what's going on in John 21. I mean, we're at a seashore. It's pretty common. And yet, even though life is filled with all these ordinary things, Jesus is breaking through in extraordinary ways. They, they do have questions, and they're not sure they've pieced it all together, much like you might not be sure how it all pieces together. You don't feel like you've got all the answers, and yet there's an assurance, there's a confidence, there's a certainty going, this is Jesus. I mean, there's no other explanation for this. This is who he is. This is true. What we sang about Jesus is true. And there's no other plausible explanation that I can wrap my heart around and wrap my mind around. Maybe worth us taking time to recognize that Jesus breaks through ordinary moments in extraordinary ways. I found that not just to be the case on the seashore in John 21. It actually happens in my life as well. How often do we need the Lord to break through? We just need some assurance. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe it seems like on Easter, a day where everybody seems to be like riding a little high and excited. Maybe this past year, maybe the past month, maybe the past week has been painful for you. And you go, like, Lord, I... If ever I needed you to break through, like I, I need some help here. Maybe in dealing with death, struggling with sin. And this is what I found, all right? Here's my experience. My experience is not that every single day of my life are these like spiritual highs where it's just like I'm so clear and so just riding high, just me and Jesus. And it's like every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like it's all high and like Jesus breaks through all. It's not like that for me. I don't know. I'm guessing it's not like that for most everybody in this room. But I will have to say there are times where it just is almost unexplainable. It's as if the Lord comes into my life. You could call it an impression or a feeling. You could, I, I don't know exactly how you want to frame it. But I just know there are moments where it is unmistakable, like, Lord, you're, you're here and you care. You're not far. 
I, I'm in worship services, and I, it's nothing about trying to manufacture and manipulate. You can't do that with real relationships. There's something real and undeniable when I'm reminded, like, the Lord cares. And sometimes it's not even in worship services. Just a few days ago, it was uh, one of those experiences where, like, I'm processing the future and some things going on, and uh, my heart's tempted to get, like, anxious and worry and concerned because I, I can't control the future, and I don't even know what the future holds. And, like, in a moment, not in a worship service, just in, in a very, very kind of ordinary moment, it's like the Lord confirms, Curtis, you're not alone. I'm not going to leave you. I do have a plan for you, and that plan is good. It always has been. It always will be. And there was a piece that I just don't know how to explain that's settled. Maybe it's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, where he's going to the Lord, and the Lord doesn't seem to be answering his prayer the way he wanted it answered. But then the Lord came to him and told him, Paul, my grace is enough for you. It's enough. My strength is going to be made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. Maybe it's an experience like Paul had also when he says in 2 Timothy 4, like, everybody left me at one point, but you know who didn't leave me? The Lord didn't leave me. He stood by me. Maybe it's the confidence that the writer of Hebrews said. That the words of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so in Hebrews 13, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'm not afraid what people can do to me. Do, do you have that? Do you have that rich, real experience with the Lord breaking through on a, a lot of ordinary days? I mean, let's face it, a lot of our days, a lot of days this week will be working, paying the bills, picking up groceries. And some days are going to be hard and complicated. And we're not going to know what to do. And on ordinary days, Jesus breaks through in extraordinary, extraordinary ways. This whole experience, again, just reminding us, it is very ordinary. They end up eating a meal. They end up eating breakfast together. Of course, this is the way it ends. This is so many stories with Jesus. This is the way it goes. Jesus feeds 5,000 hungry people. When Jesus gives analogies, and comparisons, a lot of the stories he tells are around food. They're around people eating, gathering for banquets. And Jesus is accused of like, this man eats with people that are the sinners, like the people that nobody should eat with. He eats with them. I mean, this is exactly, we expect Jesus to be at meals. And I love here, we're present at a meal. It's maybe one of the reasons why, I'm not legalistic about it, but I do generally pray before meals. And it's a reminder of like, I'm not on this planet alone. No, the Lord's here. The Lord's with us. I, I think one of the things we're looking forward to is lockdown and restrictions. And I mean, surely one of the things we're looking forward to is like, let's eat together. I don't think Baptists have a lock on that, but boy, we're good at it. Like, let's, let's do that and let's do more of that. Like, get together and just share a meal and share conversation. And certainly even on Friday night, we remember the Lord's Supper that brings us together. Life is filled with ordinary things like meals, and Jesus breaks through on occasion with his presence, with his words. There is one more agenda item for Jesus in John 21. It isn't just about the fishing trip and the meal. 
Jesus has a conversation that he wants to have, and he singles someone out for that conversation. Normally, when you get singled out, that doesn't feel like a very good thing. For Peter, I'm sure it surely didn't feel like a good thing. You would think the resurrection of Jesus, it had to be complicated, like a mixture of emotions for Peter. I mean, uh, one level, there's like, there's no mixture at all. Like, Jesus has risen. But then you kind of replay, if, if you're Peter, if I'm Peter, we're replaying the last time I saw Jesus. The last time I had a conversation with Jesus. What did that look like? If you need any reminders, remember the prideful predictions of Peter? Jesus tells him what's going to happen. You're going to deny me. And Peter says, you got this one wrong. I'm not. These guys might. But to the very end, you name the circumstance, Lord, and I'm with you. Only for literally hours later, self-denying preservation, yeah, like just self-preservation and denial. I don't, I don't know him. I, I've never heard of me. No, I'm telling you, I call a curse on my, like, I do not know him. Let that be clear to you. I don't know him. And he does it three times. And so now, again, you can appreciate where when, when Jesus, I don't, does he motion to Peter, like, can we have a conversation? You can imagine all the things that are going on in Peter's head. I know it'd be going on my head. Like, how do you ever recover from that? There's no amount of spin that you're going to be able to do on this. Not this one. I was taken out of context. You're not going to be. I mean, there's no, there's no card you have to play. And oh, by the way, like Christ is never going to be crucified again. And the one time he was, you denied him. And there's no second chance to go back and do that again. I, I would certainly feel humiliated that I messed up when it really, really mattered the most. You heard the conversation. I, I read it a moment ago. There's a back and forth between Peter and Jesus. It actually covers the same ground three times. Did you hear that? I, I'm sure you did. You can't miss the repetition, so... Jesus asks a question, Peter responds, and Jesus gives an assignment. And then he asks the same question, and Peter responds, and he gives an assignment. And he does this, he does this three times. Surely it's not an accident with the, denying, the not, denials of Peter three times. Surely it's not an accident that Jesus goes back over this three times. I don't think it was missed on Peter what was going on. He asks him a question. What question does he ask him? If it were you... And someone who had made such prideful predictions had done you the way Peter did Jesus. I wonder what the question you would ask. I'm pretty positive I know what question I would ask. I'd want to know, are you really sorry? Do you realize the pain you caused me? I mean, the physical pain is one thing, but the emotional pain of you walking out. Are you really sorry? Are you prepared, Peter, to make amends for what you've done? Are you ready to commit to a corrective action plan so that this never happens again? Are you ready to release a statement of apology to the other disciples who you said you were better than? Are you ready to own this in a significant way? Are you ready to essentially be on probation until you really prove you're not going to do this stuff again? 
all those things, I mean, let's, let's be human. All those things are going through my mind, probably not immediately, probably long-term as well. I mean, I'm probably always wanting to keep that in my back pocket of going, if you do something to me again, I'm going to go remember the time you... But why does that all seem so foreign? It seems foreign even as I make the suggestions. It seems so foreign like, well, Curtis, that's not where this is going to go. It seems so foreign because we know Jesus. I hope you know him. But I hope you also realize how amazing this grace is. That although it could have gone like this, instead, Jesus has a question to ask, and it's a relationship question. It's not an apology question. And the relationship question Maybe it's the one that ought to make us sit up and take notice. Do you love me? Peter, that's what I'm interested in. He asked it three times. When someone says, like, is everything okay? Is everything okay? No, really. Tell me the truth. Is everything okay? Like, you know, okay, okay. I've got the point. Jesus is asking this question three times. And by the way, when he uses the word love, certainly in the book of John, love is not a cheap thing. So God loved the world. In John 3, 16, God loved the world In this way, he gave his one and only son. John 13, Jesus loved his disciples, and so he washed their feet. This is no cheap word that he's throwing around when he's asking Peter. Here's what matters to me the most. Peter, do you love me? There's really nowhere to run at this point. So Peter is humbled, and he gives an answer as honest as he can. Lord, you know. There's no boastful predictions here. It's like exposed before the Lord, like we are this morning. I mean, Lord, you know. You know if I'm pretending. You know if I'm real. You know if this matters to me. You know if it doesn't. Lord, you know. But here's what Peter discovers in all of his humbling. He realizes he's he's not perfect, but he has been changed. And I think Peter realized something by that fire that day that I think we ought to realize this morning, and that is we, yes, have broken our relationship with God. All of us. I'd like to think I'm better than Peter. I'm not. We all have broken our relationship with God, and yet Jesus has taken the initiative to restore that relationship. Not content to just leave it broken, and you in your mess, and me in my mess, but it's taken the initiative to restore that relationship. Peter knows he's loved, and we know that because you just turn a couple pages over into the book of Acts, and Peter can't quit talking about the restoration and the, the gospel, the good news of this risen Jesus. It doesn't feel like he is forever on probation. He is preaching and he's sharing the good news with such assurance that can only come from knowing he has been forgiven, that God had taken the initiative in Jesus Christ to restore the relationship. As a matter of fact, when Peter writes a letter to churches, churches even like Ogletown, he he wrote in this way, Jesus suffered for you, brothers and sisters. He personally carried, Peter says this, our sins in his body on the cross Sins like denying him. Sins like not being the disciple we should have. Sins like making big promises and not keeping them. He carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds. Peter says you're healed because once you and I, Peter, could say we're like sheep who wandered away, but now we've turned to our shepherd. 
Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but was raised to life by the Spirit, the relationship with God that we've broken can be restored, not because we're worthy, not because we can manufacture a new life on our own, but because of what Jesus has done. We can be changed, forgiven, and live with him as our ruler instead of going, I think I'll do it my way. That, that change can happen. As Jesus talks with Peter, I do find just some amazing connections. When Peter is given an assignment, what Jesus tells him is, feed my sheep. What's going on? Jesus says to Peter, you're not forever disqualified, but I want you now to care for the people that matter the most to me. When Jesus talks about his sheep, that's what he values the most. He says, I want you to take care of them. But I want you to hear today, it's, there's, there's no amount of work to be done for Jesus apart from a relationship with him. And that's why I started with, do you love me? So if you love me, then there's an assignment. As you hear these words of Jesus, what does a relationship with Jesus look like now? Something very, very ordinary happens in John 21, and yet something amazing 2,000 years later is still happening. That whatever you've done, whatever shame, dishonor you might feel you've brought upon yourself and Jesus, there is hope. Maybe you know something's not quite right. Maybe you're convinced, like, I got to do something more. I've got to be something more. Maybe your mantra is, like, I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm going to try really hard and be open-minded and be nice and be respectful. I'm going to try to leave the world a little bit better than I found it. Maybe that's, like, all you've got. And I just want to tell you, you have been hardwired for something much more than that much more than your just best efforts to try to repair a broken relationship with God. You have, you've been hardwired for a relationship with Jesus Christ who came to take your sin and take it away so you would not carry it any longer. Do you know this? Maybe you've come to the place like Peter where the running's over and all you can do is sit there and be overwhelmed with the love of Jesus. All you can say is, Lord, you know my heart. You know. I'm not perfect, but Lord, you know I love you. And you lead, and I'll follow. My life is not my own. Maybe, maybe this Easter is where you begin to take, maybe you even begin to take steps of faith. And, and you, you may even be asking, like, how do I take some of those steps of faith? Well, you certainly could call out to the Lord. You could also talk with someone. Maybe go, Curtis, I don't even know who I would talk to. But I, I feel like you talk about something extraordinary. I feel like God's breaking through my life. I don't really know how to, how to process it all. I do want to at least give you a link to a form that at least you could signal. I'd be glad, and, and all of us would be glad to have any conversation today that you would like to have today, even before you leave. But if you go to that page, you can just give us, name a few pieces of information, and you can say, hey, I am interested in having a relationship with Jesus. I'm, I, I, I'm interested in this broken relationship with God being repaired. I just need to talk to someone about it. And we would love to have that conversation. 
this Easter might be filled with a lot of ordinary things. But what I prayed is something extraordinary would happen. And the Lord would track you down. And this is a good thing when he tracks you down because he tracks you down because he loves you. Because he has a plan. To recognize that Jesus is present not just like in our memories and not just in old stories, but like, no, he is real and alive and present and he's speaking and he's working. How can you orient your life around that? When Jesus left to ascend to heaven, the disciples didn't experience a drop-off. Like, man, it used to be great when Jesus was here because they knew, no, he is. And he's powerful. And he's at work. One time when a lot of people were finding the message of Jesus, like at times it's like everybody's for Jesus and then other times in the Bible it's like people start leaving. They don't find the message as trendy as they had hoped. Is like, oh, now he's saying things I don't know that I want to follow. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter said something, and I want this to stick with us today. Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? Because you have, you have the words of life. You have them. Where else could we look? Where, where else would you go today? I, I want to invite you to Jesus Christ. I want you to meet him today. I want his presence to be real in your life. Because there is life in no other place. Can I pray for you today? Lord, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for this very ordinary story that reminds us of how you work in extraordinary ways. Lord, may our hearts go to exactly what you said. You have the words of life. Thank you, Father. When we were not looking for you, you have found us. Thank you for the love your son has shown us. Our minds might be filled with a, a million things today. But remind us of the one thing that's really most important, and that is how we relate to you. Jesus, I thank you today that you have initiated a relationship with us. And I pray we would just grow and grow and grow in that, because in you all our hope is found. We ask our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.